presence and know your goodness and that you know, I ask as a pastor that every soul leaves this place with courage to pray and courage to fight a real fight in prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's do this. I got a rowdy front row. Bring it on. Sounds good. Thanks, thanks, Pastor Steve. Worship team, great job. Great job. Go ahead. Go ahead. Great job. Great job. Thank you so much. I got, I got to just uh, touch a couple things before I get going here, okay? Uh, discover Ordinary Faith. So noon today, uh, in this room, uh, we'll, as soon as this service is over, as soon as, if you want to help, we'll take that. It'd be great. We're going to set the tables back up, and then we're going to, we plan on starting around noon just eat a, 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 a simple lunch, and uh, I'm going to talk while you eat, and uh, we'll be done in about an hour, and we do have child care for that, okay? So if you can stay today, that'll give you a great picture on who Ordinary Faith is. Now this afternoon at 4 p.m., we're, we're, uh, so we're doing a whole Discover series for Ordinary Faith that we launched this year. So this afternoon at 4, we're doing a class called Discover Ordinary Faith. Now this is a workshop. This is not a sit and listen to Michael talk for an hour and a half which I would be happy to do, but that's not what this is. So uh, there's actually a handout. Both these classes are going to have some informa- a lot of information for you. And uh, so we're just going to work through some verses together and just kind of wrap our hearts around discipleship and what that really looks like. The great thing about this class is it's also going to be a back-and-forth workshop deal. You can ask questions. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just discuss things. We'll have a conversation as well as learn, okay? So now there's nothing fancy. Okay, the 4 o'clock is Discover Discipleship. I'm sorry, noon is Discover Ordinary Faith. Thank you. My memory is sitting on the front row. Um, but anyway, now that's just a workshop, nothing fancy, no meal. I mean, you just, the only reason you would come is because you want to grow in Christ. That's it, okay? This is an opportunity. Uh, I can't make you take opportunities, but I can make them available, and that's what these are about. Okay, got it? All right, one last thing. All right, thank you. That's good. One last thing. Next weekend, Dave Limmer's going to be in with us. So uh, to that Saturday morning at 9 a.m., all our leaders are going to gather of uh, different departments, and we're going to have a brunch, and Dave's going to encourage them. And, and so if you really want to just come to that, text me, and I'll see if I can get you in. I know a guy. And um, <laughs> then at 6 o'clock, we are doing a, a prayer service together. We're just going to come together and pray. It'll be directed, but it's mainly praying and, and worshiping and those kind of things. And then next Sunday, Pastor Dave's going to share with us, okay? That's all. I just needed to add some skin to those things. So pray first. This is the last sermon that I'm going to give on this, and today we're talking about what to do when praying is hard, all right? What to do when praying is hard. You ever had a tr- any trouble praying? Yeah. All right. So hey, look at there. Man, you guys are in the room. Great. All right. Jesus talked a lot about persistence in prayer. There are a lot of Bible examples about being persistent in your prayers. In Luke 11, Jesus tells a story about a friend who went to another friend to get something that another friend needed. And in that story, Jesus made it clear that friendship isn't always enough to get what you need. Sometimes persistence is what you need. And so you can read about that in Luke 11. By the way, if you use version and you went to events, you would find all the notes on today and all the verses that I'm going to use because I'm not going to be able to hit them all, but they all do back up this message. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about an unjust judge. So in Luke 11, he talks about a friend in need for a friend who goes to a friend for a friend and, and being persistent. And in Luke 18, he talks about a widow who's trying to get justice from an unjust judge. And when she goes to the judge, he doesn't care about right or wrong, but he does care about being bugged by this lady, okay? And she's so persistent that he finally gives her justice just because she's so annoying. Now, Jesus uses that to teach us to be persistent in prayer, and how he concludes that story is he says in verse 7 of Luke 18, he says, even the, the, the unjust judge rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. Then there's like a hitch. And Jesus concludes the parable with this phrase. He says, but, I mean, yeah, yeah, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have Faith. I want to reword that so you catch what the point he's making, okay? He's, he's, saying, he's teaching us a story about persistence in prayer, 
And then he concludes it by saying, hey, when I come back, will there still be anyone who prays? Okay, does that help you wrap your head around what he's trying to say? Will there be any faith? Will there be anyone who's asking God for help? Anyone who's asking God to bless them? Those kind of things. So Jesus taught a lot about persistence in prayer. And we have tons of, excuse me, Bible examples about persistence in prayer. The, in the nation of Israel, before it became a, an official kingdom, it was really just a loose affiliation of tribes. And they were wild and chaotic. The transition point that moved them from, this, from judges uh, to, to actually having a king was the birth of a guy named Samuel. The birth of a guy named Samuel came because of a heartbroken woman who was barren and couldn't have children. And she was so persistent in her prayers that her prayers to bless her life actually blessed an entire nation. And her persistence blessed everybody. The Syrophoenician woman, she went to Jesus Christ. She was of a Gentile heritage. She went to Jesus Christ. It wasn't time in, in the, the view of things, the covenants yet, for the gospel to go into the Gentile world. And so Jesus was mainly anchoring it in the Jewish people. She comes to Jesus and says, I need a miracle. Jesus tells her no. Jesus said no. But she wasn't the kind of woman to be discouraged by even Jesus saying no. And so she kept asking, and Jesus answered her prayer. Jacob, the reason that we even have a nation of Israel is because a guy named Jacob, who was a scoundrel, who was the secondborn, not the firstborn, totally unworthy of the blessing, yet he wrestled with God all night long until he wakes up in the morning with the blessing and a new name. And so you, you see persistence in prayer is a powerful and a mighty thing. I mean, if, if, just annoy God to get what you want. It's kind of what it sounds like, right? Is that what he's going to say? I want, to, I want you to be motivated to pray, though. And uh, it's very dear to me in this issue. I, I, let me read you a scripture out of Romans, and let me tell you why it's so dear. Romans 15.30 Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, the believers in Rome, Brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, if I urge you to do something, I'm pleading, I'm begging, I really want to pull you into something. And so Paul is saying, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. You see... Uh, every, every weekend, I get the honor to share uh, insights that God's given me in His Word. I, I basically give a book report every week, okay? Same book, <laughs> every week. Uh, um, to me, though, it's, um, I mean, this is a calling. This is not just my job. It's, it's the most important thing in my life. Well, every weekend, I, I don't know who it is, but I know that there are people in this body, and maybe... I've, I've lived around the country some, so there may be people around the country. I think it starts about noon on Saturday. People start praying for me. I can feel it every week. And because um, and, 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 my life, my focus, my heart, everything begins to change. And my, I have some routines. I'm a very habit-oriented guy. And um, I, I just begin to feel the Lord prepare me and change me and so forth. Now, if that's you, thank you. I cannot do what I do without you. And I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it'd be a great song. Can't do what I do without you, yeehaw. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. It's just... grew, up, grew up in Tennessee. <laughs> I, I hurt some of you guys' feelings there, and I'm sorry about that. But anyway, I, seriously, I can't do what I do without you. And um, so I just want to say thank you. Because when you start praying for me, whenever you do, you enter my struggle. And I can't tell you, I mean, I have struggles just like normal people, but we also have, we have interesting struggles because we, we fight an enemy in a very forthright way. And so sometimes we deal with him a little bit more obvious way than, than many people realize that they do. And so I just want to say that when you pray for me, you enter my struggle. Well, here's the great thing. The minute you pick up on anybody in prayer, you enter their struggle. You are now fighting with them. 
They're not on their own anymore. Even though they may not know you're praying, and they don't even need to know you're praying, they, you just need to be with them in the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of earth, praying for them and lifting them up and holding them up and asking God's blessing and God's strength and God's power and God's direction on their life. When you do that, you enter their struggle. This isn't just rolling down a prayer list. I don't know how you do it. I, have a, I do have a prayer list. I use this app called Echo that kind of helps me out. Uh, it, it meets my addiction to cell phones and helps me pray. Long story. <laughs> but, you know, as you do that, you just think of it. And let that motivate you to lift somebody else up, to, to enter their struggle. I bet every person in this room knows somebody right now who's going through something that they need help with. And probably every one of you sitting there going, I have no idea how to help. Well, here's how to help. Go into their struggle in prayer. Struggle with them, okay? Let that be a motivation. Now, starting to pray is awesome, and that is the first battle to begin praying, especially in a world that doesn't pray anymore, that doesn't actually believe in prayer. In a church throughout the, the, the Western world that doesn't really believe God answers prayer, when you start praying, you've won the first battle. However, there's a second one coming right behind it, and that is the, the battle to stay in prayer. Okay? How many of you guys have had a hard time praying before? Go ahead, just nod. You don't have to do a hands up, but just nod. Had a hard time praying. Okay. I know. I get it. Me too. My, I'm a very ADD kind of guy, and I'm like, oh, butterfly. Jesus, I butterfly. <laughs> I get it, okay? Well, it's just as challenging once you start praying to stay in prayer, okay? Because the enemy doesn't want you to pray, so he's going to throw every opportunity at you he can to keep you from doing it. But then as soon as you climb into prayer and as soon as you get in your closet with God, he's going to do everything he can to get you out of there, okay? You know why? Because he's terrified of you when you pray. When you're praying, you are creaming the enemy. You hear me? He can't, he can't block your punch that comes through prayer. He can't stop what you do when you pray. And so when you get into prayer, he, wants, he, he can't stop your prayer's power, but if he can stop you from praying, he can weaken you. So there's a battle to start praying, there's a battle to stay praying, and then there's a battle to persist in prayer. You and I, Jesus is telling us, knock on the door. Keep knocking, don't stop knocking until the door opens. You keep asking until you get an answer. Keep praying. Keep praying. Everybody say it. Keep praying. When we keep praying, we begin to change things and change the atmosphere of the world in which we live, the community in which we live, in ways we could never even comprehend. You just don't know. You just don't know what God's doing through you right now. You do not know. And when you plug into prayer, you are plugging into the superpower of God, and you are becoming a conduit for God to influence this world. Got to tell you a story. It's just going to make the sermon longer. Is that okay? All right, got it. It's just got to happen. So yesterday I get a phone call, and uh, it's from a number I didn't know, which I normally don't answer those. Sorry. <laughs> Nor, I mean, my car's warranty's fine. I, I don't know what the deal is, but uh, I get a thousand calls a week over my car's warranty. And uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm, I answer the phone, and it's this guy named Kevin. And Kevin calls me up, and Kevin is the most excited dude I have ever heard in my life. And he's a baritone. Have you ever heard a deep bass person who's excited? It doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> I just want you to know I'm really excited about it. It doesn't sound like Elvis at all, but still, I mean, it, he was pumped. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> How you doing, Kevin? He goes, listen, and here's the story. Um, in April of 18... I was doing a series in April of 18. I had to go back to look because I had forgotten about it. He sent me a picture of the bulletin when he was in Ordinary Faith that Sunday, or that, actually that month. I was doing a series called Messy People. And he was here working with T-Mobile and, and also bartending over at Old Chicago. And somebody invited him to Ordinary Faith. He was, at, he was the kind of guy, he was saved when he was young, and uh, he was at a, a pivot point in his life and in his marriage. And he showed up at Ordinary Faith one Sunday God got a hold of him. He told me, and I, and I don't remember this, but he, was, he, wore, he said he wore sunglasses because he was crying and he didn't want anybody to see it. And he said, I walked to him and asked him if he was all right and if I could do anything. And he said, he just wanted to let us know, not me, us, that ordinary faith changed his life. 
So here's Kevin. He lives down in Colorado. Here's, here's, here's one more part of this that's kind of cool. Pretty cool. So Kevin is, uh, anybody watch reality TV? I, I don't. I, 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 I really don't because my life is sad enough. And uh, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was, a, that was a slab at reality TV. I'm just kidding. He, he's, so they've started, this is the first season on the Discovery Network, a show called Reclaim. He and his partner, they're in construction. They go in and help open up old mines in Colorado, and they have a show on Discovery called Reclaim, and Kevin is one of those guys. So I know a reality TV star, stars now. Well, he knows me. I mean, <laughs> so I went and watched the show yesterday. I'd never watched reality TV that much, but I watched this one, and it was pretty good, and it was a lot of fun, especially since I knew the guy who was in it. So that was, that was a really cool experience. But I had no idea that we, you don't realize what we do when we come together, how powerful it is for us to come together. Amen. What we were able to do in just a small window, 30-day, 45-day window of somebody's life. He's involved in a Christian men's group down there, and he is actually now working. He's from L.A., working with the Discovery Network, and he's trying to share Christ. And he is very, he's our kind of guy. He's kind of crass, you know. <laughs> he's, he's sharing Christ in a real way with those people. And he called me up just praying for him to have the courage to, to bring Jesus into this scenario in his life. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that amazing? God's good. God is good. So you don't know what God's doing in your life and what your life is capable of. So, so stop writing yourself off. And let's empower the thing and let's do that through persistence in prayer. So I'm going to give you three tools today to keep praying. Three things to hang on to. Three foundations of prayer, okay? The first is this. We have to trust God's goodness. We have to trust God's goodness. God is good. <laughs> Let's try again. One more time just because I surprised you. That wasn't fair. I should have given you a, a tip. What was coming? Here we go. God is good. And all the time. God is good. I want you to remember that because that is not just a cool thing we say in church to wake you up because it looks like you didn't have enough coffee yet. <laughs> that is theology. That, theology is what you think about God. And we, so we preachers like to use the word theology makes us sound smart. But all it really means is what you think about God. And what you need to think, what has to found your prayer life, is you have to think and believe that God is good. And so I thought someone would hit me with it all the time, so I was waiting for it. You never know what's going to happen. Guys, I want you to know something. It may be hard to realize this, but God is never your problem. God is never your problem. Let me read you a passage. I'm gonna, last week I touched on 1 Kings 18 and 19, and this week I'm going to touch on 1 Kings, the, a little bit of the story of Elijah, just a little bit. But 1 Kings 18, the nation of Israel had been in a drought for three years, hadn't rained in three years. In, in an agricultural society without the storage options available to them that we have today, that is devastating, okay? So it hadn't rained in three years, no good crops in three years, and, and so things were bad, famines on the land. And so this is what happens in 1 Kings 18.1. God says to Elijah, he says, Later on, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to King Ahab. Tell him that I will soon send rain. I want you to see in this that God wants to bless the nation of Israel. Now, I know you're probably looking at, well, if God stopped the rain, doesn't he also want to curse them? My argument is this. God loves to bless, but sometimes he has to withdraw the blessings because of how we're using them. So what was going on in the nation of Israel is they had a, a wicked, well, Ahab was probably more stupid than wicked, but his wife Jezebel, she was wicked, okay? <laughs> he had a wicked king and queen. And they were taking God's blessings and bounty and using them to, to uh, abuse the people and worship demons. Okay? That's what they were doing with the blessings of God. So when God gives you blessings, how you use them matters, right? And so God sent a drought and to, to get their attention, to wake them up, to pull them back to himself. Okay? Now, God... God wants to bless, and that's his nature, but God is also just, and that is necessary. So I want to teach you something that God's teaching me right now, okay? I've learned something. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, well, life is all about 
balance. Not if you've heard that before. Have you, have you said, even if you said, life is about balance. I take issue with that. Because of an issue I'm going through, God has taught me. Since December, I've had this annoying little health thing going on. And I have learned something. Life is not about balance. Life is about tension. <laughs> Life is about tension. Not that I like that lesson, because I really don't like tension, but I'm just saying it really is. Why, why would I say that? Well, in this, the issue I'm dealing with, I, I'm dealing with the fact that I have muscles in one part of my body that are pulling and, and that are stiff and stronger than muscles in another part of my body, and it's creating these annoying problems. And the issue, yes, you could say that my muscle strength is out of balance, but the issue is the tension is not working properly. The tension's out of whack. And so God's, God's teaching me. The great thing about anything that comes your way, God always works the good out of it. So I'm learning how to pray like never before. <laughs> There's that. But then I'm also learning this truth about tension. So let me teach you about tension. I'm going to say God is good. God is good. All the time. So that is a, a, a theological anchor. Okay, let's just plant that in the ground. God is good. All the time. Hey, hang on, let me... Hold it. No, I told this wrong. Back off. Back. Take that last all the time back. I did that wrong. All right. I, I, I started in the wrong place. Okay, back to tension. Okay. What was it? Where was I going with this? Uh, does anybody remember my sermon this morning? I need you to give it back to me. That's right. Okay, that's right. I got you. Thank you. So there's a truth of, there's, a, there's the anchor of truth. So there, in the Bible, it tells us to, beloved, this is in Tim, uh, Peter. It says, Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trials or, that are to try you. James chapter 1 says it, it, that you're going to endure trials and develop patience through those. So that is an anchoring truth, okay? So you are going to have difficulty in life. Isn't that exciting? Okay, yes, they're all, all excited. Okay. <laughs> anchoring truth is that there's difficulty in life. But then there's also... The freeing truth, you know, that, um, I don't know, that Jesus Christ died for all of that, that by his stripes you're healed, that all our sins are on him, that his blood covers all of it. So that's the, the freeing truth, that even though you have difficulties on earth, Jesus covered all, his blood is good enough for all of that, okay? Now, the tension comes in, it's kind of like flying a kite. I know you're from Wyoming and you tried to fly a kite once and you lost a small child. <laughs> I know how that goes. It's a great way to get rid of a child. <sighs> but, <laughs> sorry, I'm a little honored today. <laughs> what makes a kite work is the anchor. The wind blows, the kite flies. You let go of the anchor, the kite flies away till it finally descends and is destroyed or what have you, okay? The anchor is what keeps the, fly, the, the kite in the air. And so there's a string between Jesus Christ died for all of this and beloved, there are going to be trials in your life and that string is that God is good. That's the theology. God is good. I can trust that whatever's happening here is paid for there, and I keep those tethered together. All of Scripture, every theological truth is in tension with other theological truths. It's filled with paradox, and those paradoxes are what keep things in line and keep the body together. Now that I'm beginning to learn this lesson, I see it everywhere, especially in the church. I tell you what, there are people in the church that will drive you nuts, right? I mean, not our church, but I mean in church. They'll drive you crazy, right? Well, what if God's intent is to create a healthy tension that holds the body together? One of those is the law and grace. James wrote in the book of James, he says, Faith without works is dead. Okay? Man, if your faith doesn't have action, that's not real faith at all. And then Paul writes Galatians, and it seems like James and Paul are arguing with each other. Because in Galatians, Paul's like, man, it's all grace. The Spirit sets you free. Never walk enslaved to bondage again. It seems like they're opposing each other. But they're actually two paradoxical ideas held in tension by that simple belief. God is good. God is so good. 
And so I need you to embrace, I'm asking you to embrace this idea. First of all, when you come to God in prayer, you trust in God's goodness. And this is critically important because this is the first and most primary thing the enemy is going to assault in your life is the goodness of God. You're going to hit some kind of trouble, the kind of trouble that the Bible says you're going to have. Beloved, don't think it's weird that you're enduring difficult things. Peter tells us we know hard times are coming. And in those times that come, you know, there's, the, there's the, the truth that God is good. And if I lose that truth that God is good, I'm going to stop praying. Why would you pray to a God who's not good? Can you call it a prayer of faith if you don't think God is truly good? What kind of prayer is that? You see what I'm saying? Isn't that a challenging idea? So when I learn to trust God's goodness, and I also learn the simple lesson, the enemy is a liar. Yeah. G, G, that's right. It, the enemy's a liar all the time. And so you're going to go through something, a difficulty. I don't know, you have a flat tire on the way to work tomorrow. You get out of that car, see that flat tire, and the first thing the enemy's going to throw at you is this. Well, this isn't good. This is bad. If God let something bad happen to me, and maybe God's not so good after all. That's how the enemy comes at you. The funny thing is, he's probably the one that slashed your tire. That's how the enemy rolls. He attacks you and then points his finger at God and says, God did it. Is that like gaslighting? Does the devil gaslight God? Is that what that is? And so... That's going to come under assault. It asks through Scripture, and I, I'm not going to take the time. I could quickly, uh, you know, we could easily jump into Genesis and see where Satan tested, basically that the original sin came from Satan making Eve doubt the goodness of God and ma making D Eve doubt the sufficiency of God. We can also see that in Jesus' temptation. By the way, Jesus' temptation is Genesis chapter 3, part 2, Okay. And so we, we can see that happen. So here's what we do, though. 1 Kings 18, 17, when Elijah goes to Ahab, the wicked king, Ahab saw him, and, and he said this. Verses on your screen, if you didn't notice. It says, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Is that awesome or what? Ahab, who's using all God's blessings to worship the devil with, accuses Elijah, the messenger of God, of being the problem. Does anybody else in this room love Elijah? I, I love, yeah, I love Elijah. You know, I, I think if Elijah were around today, I always modernize these guys. I think he would ride a really old Harley, an old Harley, you know, one with the chain and probably no exhaust or something, you know. I think he'd wear some beat-up leather and have a really big beard, probably have wear some old, like, Stetson or some kind of cologne. What's that one that the guy was a... Uh, yeah, yeah, some, some kind of, yes, just spice. Old spice, that was it. Anyway, you're like, Michael, get back to the message. Okay, okay, I'm just, I'm just imagining this guy. I just want you to see that Ahab blamed his problems on Elijah. And I want to take it as a lesson. This isn't meant as a jab. God's never the problem. But sometimes I am, okay? Sometimes I'm the problem. And sometimes the things I'm asking for are not good. And here's the difference between good and bad. You see, a lot of times in life, I want God to do things for me that are good for me. I don't really care if they're good for you. I'm just being honest here. I mean, I'm like you. I, sit on the tri I try and sit on the throne of my own life and have to dethrone myself all the time. And so when I ask God for stuff, a lot of times I want what's good for me. And only God knows what's good for all of us. That's why it's so important that we learn to obey and follow God. Because he's the one who's truly good and knows how to work the best out of every scenario. So when we pray, we ask for what's good. Now Ahab's bringing out his own problems because what he wants isn't good for the nation he leads. And it led to a drought. God wants to bless them, but their own misuse of God's blessings put them in a place where justice had to be taken care of. Okay? So you have to realize God is never the problem, but sometimes I am. 
And so let's learn to trust God's goodness. Don't let the enemy make you doubt God's goodness. Let's, let's, let me give you something to help you deal with the, your doubts about God's goodness right now. Let me tell you a story. A guy named Moses. Okay, Moses was pretty cool. Had a pretty good relationship with God. He was so close to God, his face glowed. All right? He had to wear a veil over his face because he freaked people out because he glowed from hanging out with God. That's a pretty good relationship with God. Okay? So Moses had seen the burning bush. That had really shaken him up. He dropped his stick. It was something else. Turned into a snake. Another story. Back to what happened. He saw God. Saw God deliver the nation of Israel in Egypt. He saw the plagues. I mean... He had a great relationship with God. He was the one that walked out in the Red Sea, drove the rod of God into the mud, and the sea split. And then got, walked, took 1.5 million people through it, got to the other side. The sea converged back upon itself and destroyed the Egyptian army, wiped them out for generations. I mean, this guy had seen God at work. What did that do to him? It's crazy what it did to him because it made him want more God. And that's how you know when you have a spiritually healthy life, when you want more God in your life. If you can get enough God in your life, <laughs> you don't know him that well. No, no offense intended. I'm just, just, okay, maybe a little. All right. You know, they just want more God. And so here's Moses. He's seen all this cool stuff. He's already in the face-glowing phase of his relationship with God. And he says, God, I want more. I want to see you. I want to see you. I, I mean, he's seen his power. He'd seen it manifested, seen his miracles. And he says, God, I've seen everything you do, and now I want to see you. And God, God wants to bless. God wants to bless. He wants to answer those prayers. And so he, he comes up with a way that Moses can see him. And now, now, God told him, he said, listen, you, no one can see me dead on and survive that. I mean, the human body just cannot handle the holiness of God. Check it out, uh, Isaiah 6, you'll, and you'll look at Isaiah and how he reacts to the presence of Adonai there, and you will see just how, how devastating the very presence of God is. But anyway, God says, you know, I can't see you head on, but i got a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you check out my back. Okay, I'm going to walk past you. I'm going to cover you. You're going to get in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to put my hand over it, walk past you, and then I'm going to let you out, and you can see my back. And here's what happens. Exodus 33, verse 19. The Lord replied. This is what he's going to do. I will make all my goodness. Everybody say goodness. goodness. I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. In this scene where Moses gets to see God, God who's a spirit, God who Jesus said no man had ever seen. In this scene where Moses gets to see God, God starts that moment by declaring his goodness. To deny, reject, or doubt the goodness of God is to completely miss everything about who God is or what God intends or what His plans are, especially and specifically for you. you it begins, an experience of God begins with an understanding of the goodness of God. How many of you guys, just nod, just nod you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you guys really enjoy worshiping God? Just, just give me a nod. It's okay. There's no judgment here. I understand. We all worship in different ways, by the way. You know, it's when you're in worship, however you do that, some people are singers, and some people are wavers, and some people are dancers, and some people are sitters, whatever you are, okay? When you enjoy the, the goodness, when you enjoy worship, you're enjoying the goodness of God. When, you, when you're singing that song, Raise a Hallelujah, wasn't that a rhythm through your heart right there? God is good. God will fight my battles. All I got to do is focus on him, and he'll focus on my problems. And you were sitting there going, that is so good. That is, I need someone else to fix my problems. It seems like I keep generating more. I need someone who can fix them. And, and, and so worship is about identifying with that goodness. And we see that in Moses' story. So first thing you got to get anchored in, trust God's goodness. Now you're sitting there going, Michael, how long is this sermon going to be? Long. First Kings 18. First Kings 18. <laughs> All right, First Kings 18, 21. The second thing I want to encourage you to do. First, trust God's goodness. Sex. Second, fight for God's 
glory. Elijah stood in front of the nation of Israel, and he said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is good, follow him. But if Baal is good, follow him. But the people were completely silent. He's not missing, is he? Okay, hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry. If you've been in ordinary faith more than four years, you know what's going on. So. And if you come to discover ordinary faith, I'll tell you the whole story if you want to hear it. But you don't, actually. But I want you to see that Elijah stood before the nation of Israel, and he said, hey, today, pick your God. And he really, he's not being a jerk, but he's just, just being simple about it. He says, I really don't care which one you pick, but pick one and commit to one. Don't be on the fence. Commit. And I, I can't remember, I heard an old story one time about this guy who was trying to live his life on the fence, and the devil was smiling at him. And he said, what are you smiling at? I haven't decided either way. And the devil said, well, I'm the one who built the fence. So <laughs> you're mine. But anyway, so you can't be on the fence. And so that's what Elijah does. Elijah asks the people, you decide, I mean, you, you figure out which God is God, and you serve that God. So guys, if you're going to fight for God's honor in prayer, which I, we'll talk about what that means more in just a second, I, you've got to first, yeah, we've got to trust God's goodness, but you actually need to know who God is. I say that as fundamental and as simple as it sounds, it's amazing how many people invent a God of their own making. In fact, that is not actually remembering God. When we start to make up God to fit the life we have or the circumstances we're going through, we're actually forgetting God. We're disconnecting from who God is. And God is not happy about it. The Bible says in Psalm 50, God says, These things you've done, and I've been silent. You thought I was one like yourself. And I want you to understand, God's not like you. God is nothing like you. He's not like anybody you know. He's not like anybody I know. God is holy. He is other. He is very outside of anything you understand. So I'm encouraging to actually, encouraging you to actually get to know God. Not just about Him, but know Him. And I want to challenge you to, to discover this God that you say you worship. And to also identify the beliefs you have about him that may not be true. There's so many ideas, false and otherwise, about who God is. Now John says this. I want to give you three ways right quick how you can know God. 1 John 2 verse 3 says, And we can be sure that we know God if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. So I know that you were expecting me first thing to say, well, you've got to read your Bible if you want to know who God is. So I'm going to jump over that one. I'm not going to re-hit that. I've said that plenty in the last many years. But I'm going to jump over to this idea of obedience. You want to know who God is, then start doing what God says. Amen. You want to know who God is, start doing what God says. Why? Because when you start doing what God says, a couple things are going to happen. First thing, you're going to understand that God is right and you are wrong. Okay? You will not verbally say the second part, but you will admit the first one. God is always right. And then under your breath, you can say, and I am oh, usually most of the time wrong. Okay? You're going to know that God is right. Also, you're going to know what God is like. In obeying God's commandments, you, you begin to discover his nature. Begin to discover his heart, the things that matter to him. I'm, uh, I'm working on a sermon for February, and we're going to dive into the Beatitudes to understand the way that Jesus taught us to live. God has a different way about him, a different way of life, a different way of living, one that's very foreign to us as Westerners for sure. And so you've you got to know who God is, and if you're going to do that, you've got to step into obedience. I guess I should clarify this one thing. I don't want you to ever think for a second that I believe that you are strong enough in yourself to actually obey God. Obeying God's like walking on a raging sea. He's got to help you do it or you're going to sink, all right? And he invites you into it. In fact, a lot of times what you're doing when you obey God is you go, God, I, I really don't know how to do this, but I'm going to step out of the boat and trust you. You're going to take a couple steps. You're going to sink. Jesus is going to come over and grab you. Jesus is going to say, hey, what were you thinking? Get you up and walk again. That's how this is going to go, okay? 
And every time, every time you take the step, every time you sink, every time he pulls you out, every time you learn more about who he is, how good he is, and his heart toward you. You want to know who God is? Do what he says, okay? Amen. You want to know who God is? Also, you need to learn to talk to him. He's a great God. Learn to speak his language. Learn to, learn to worship. Learn to pray. Learn to wait on him. Learn to be in conversation about him with other believers. These are all ways that we come to know God. And, and yes, you need the Bible. But, guys, I'm telling you what I have learned when it comes to the Bible. Our human nature, our wounds, our broken lenses will twist the Scripture in our mind and we will, we will take a, the wrong meaning from it. We need God to teach us God's Word. All right? So, Yes, obey God. Yes, speak to God. And then third, let the Holy Spirit lead you. He is the only real teacher. Let Holy Spirit peel those lenses away. Get at the heart of you. Clear up your vision and heal your wounds. That's how you get to know God. And you may be sitting there going, I'm not sure any of that made sense to me. Can't you give me an assignment? Sure. Come to the Discover Discipleship this afternoon and we'll get started. Okay? <laughs> Oh, he worked a plug-in. How did he do that? You get to know God. He is going to blow your mind. If the God you believe in doesn't blow you away, you probably don't know the right one. God's amazing. He's the reason the word awesome exists. He is beyond your wildest imagination. Now, you get to know God, and you will want to make God known. When you meet the most amazing entity in the universe, and he blows your mind, it is no problem letting people know about him at that point. And that's why I think that the root of the issue is that many of us don't really know him. Because as we come to know him, he's so wonderful. You ever met a truly, someone that you thought was really wonderful? I mean, it may have only lasted 30 minutes, but I mean, someone, you ever thought of someone, met someone that's really wonderful? And then you met someone else you knew, and you're like, oh, man, that, that guy's wonderful. God really is wonderful. I mean, that's one of Jesus' names, wonderful counselor. And he really is. And so you get to know him. Making him known isn't going to be a problem. And, and so Elijah's challenge was, hey, uh, today, pick your God and commit to that God. So I want us to get to know God and, and fight for his honor. And here's how to do that, and here's how the prayer aspect of it ties in. It's time to start asking God for stuff that only God can do. Now, I'm not saying stop asking God to help you through your day or to help you be a parent or all those kind of requests that we issue and breathe in and out all the time. But I'm, I'm asking you, have you got a prayer request in your life that's so big right now that if it were answered that the people around you that know you would look at that and go, God had to have done it. This church needs to be filled with those kind of prayers. So this message is about persisting in prayer, continuing to pray when it's hard. And some of you have stuff you're praying for right now. I know there are lots of unanswered prayers in this room, okay? I also have unanswered prayers. So let's take the first two points of this message. We'll get to the third in just a second. And let's apply them right now. First of all, whatever you're praying for, don't give up because God is good. God is good. Okay? Then don't give up because we're, this is going to honor God when your big, hairy, scary prayer request comes through. God's going to be honored. You are fighting for his honor by asking him for the impossible. Is that exciting? Does that motivate you just a little bit? Okay, good. All right. One last thing, and I'll be done tomorrow. Next, anticipate God's answer. Expect God to answer. Now, this story in 1 Kings 18 begins with God saying, Hey, Elijah. I want to bless the people with rain, okay? I want to send rain. So God's telling you what he wants to do. And you read your Bible, there's a whole lot of places where God tells you what he wants to do. He wants to save everybody? 
<laughs> he wants to heal. He wants to move, okay? So God's telling him what he wants to do. So this is what happens, 1 Kings 18, 41. Uh, I'm going to Michaelize this, so bear with me. Uh, the, then Elijah said to Ahab, go through the drive-thru. <laughs> for, for I hear a mighty storm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, Go, look out toward the sea. So the servant went and looked. Then he returned to Elijah and he said, I don't see anything. Then seven times Elijah told him to go look. Seven times he told him to go look. Finally, the seventh time. His servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Okay. The servant, I don't believe the servant thought this was a big deal at all. I mean, all day they were looking at cloudless skies with a burning sun beating down on them. Elijah knows God wants to send rain, and still he sends a servant seven times to go look for the thing to look for the, any sign of rain while he's praying, which is a great lesson in persistence. God wants, God wants you in the journey of prayer just as much as he wants to give you the answer for the prayer. Okay, And so Elijah's there praying, and then the answer to the prayer, though, is a little cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. Just a little cloud. And when Elijah sees that cloud, the anticipation, well, he knew God was going to answer, but now he gets all excited, and he realizes this is the rain. And he tells the servant to go tell Ahab he needs to get out of there or he's going to get stuck because the rain's going to catch him. And so I want you to see that we need to learn to also expect God to answer and also look for God to answer in, in small ways to begin with. You guys that are parents or grandparents in the room, do you like watching your kids or grandkids grow? Maybe it's more enjoyable for the grandparents because they can send them away. But it's, it's fun to watch things grow, isn't it? Isn't it fun to watch people grow? Are any of you guys in business or in something in life where you get to see people start here and grow to there? It's very exciting. I love to watch people grow. God likes to watch things grow. He likes to hand out seeds versus, you know, full-grown answers or trees or whatever. I almost made that rhyme. I'm writing a country song today and totally unaware of how I'm doing that. I just want you to know that, that God does want to bless. And so when you pray, expect God to answer. God isn't holding out on you. God's not the problem. In fact, I want to share the scripture with you before I go into the conclusion here. In fact, the Bible says this in Corinthians. Paul writes, It was to us that God revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. I want you to know that God wants to share his secrets with you. He wants to share his wonder with you. And, and you're not experiencing those, and we're not experiencing those, because we won't stay and wait for him long enough to receive those. And so as we learn to stay in prayer, to trust God's goodness, to fight that this thing we're praying for is going to honor God, it's also time to start expecting God to show up in those things, to, to, to bless us in those things, and to look for the little moves of God in our lives. You know, I have seen people in my life lose a miracle. I know you're saying, how do you lose a miracle? Well, it happens all the time. We lose a miracle when we give someone else the credit for the miracle. You see, God works in all kinds of ways. Yeah, sometimes he just zaps you and, and you're healed or you get the giant check in the mail or, or something happens and your, your marriage flips a switch overnight and turns around. Sometimes the miracle just happens like that, but not always. Sometimes it starts with the worst argument of your life. Sometimes it starts with the biggest bill you've ever received. Sometimes it starts with the worst news. 
And, and, and what we normally do is God will begin to show up and, and maybe you got the bad report and God used a doctor to get you taken care of or he sent you the right kind of medicine that would help or he, he sent you the right kind of community to gather around you and God blessed you through all these different pieces because God loves to work through people and what happens is we get better, the marriage improves, the relationships get better and then we look back and say, well, I know God, we thank God, but... The doctor did that. That guy wrote a check, and we give someone else the credit. So what you need to learn to do is to look for the wonderful every day, to look for God's hand in every situation because he's always at work. And when you, when you begin to see that hand at work, it'll give you hope for your answer to come. So start anticipating that. Stop writing off every day. God's working in your day every single day of your life, guys. Every person that comes your way. And stop dismissing it. And start accepting it. You wake up tomorrow and someone's on your mind. You ever had that happen to you? You're thinking about somebody. And you go and stop to get gas. One chance in a thousand, that person happens to be right across from you at the other pump in, the car, in their car. And rather than going, oh, isn't that a neat coincidence? Why don't you stop right there? This is serendipitous right here. This moment, God has shown up. He has orchestrated a meeting of two people who needed to get together for some reason that day. So find a way to take that to the next step. Sometimes you have needs in your life. Uh, maybe you need money. I mean, none, none of us would, but if you did, you know, needed money, right? And, and, and you maybe need a lot of money. And you encounter some guy, maybe at, on the Walmart exit or out there going out of town, and, and he needs 10 bucks. I mean, you need 10,000, but he needs 10 bucks. Or rather than dismissing that as the hand of God, realize maybe God gave me this need so I'd be sensitive to someone else's need and step into it. I mean, really, what's 10 bucks when you need 10,000? Take care of the guy. All the hand of God in all these simple ways. Little, little moments that often turn into amazing miracles in our life. All available to a people of God who will pray and live their life in prayer. Each day wondering what cool thing God's going to do today. I'm telling you, you live like that, you are going to experience lots of cool things. And sometimes you're going to experience outright miraculous things. So I'm challenging you and me to get serious about praying first. It's not doing nothing. It's doing the most important thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share these, these simple ideas. I thank you that you can take small things and do big things with them. I thank you that your love for us is so overwhelming that whenever we even briefly touch it, it overwhelms us. And Lord, I just ask that you would raise us up as prayer warriors. I pray that you make prayer the very life breath of our body. I pray that I see more and more brothers and sisters gathering around each other and praying for each other. I pray, Lord, that you would take our complaints and, and help us to see them as indicators that someone needs prayer. And God, I pray that you would help us to never give up. Help us, Lord, that when those that we want to quit come, that we don't quit, but rather we knock harder, we search more, and we pray longer. And I pray, Lord, for mighty breakthroughs in this room. And I thank you for the many breakthroughs that have, that have come through even recently in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.